Hello friends, I'm your host Chris Thrill, I'm a former Royal Marines Commando, I've adventured for better and sometimes worse across 80 countries on all seven continents. Welcome to the Bought the T-Shirt Podcast. AJ, how are you brother? I'm very well, thanks Chris. Thanks for having me on bro. Oh, mate, it's my pleasure. Um, you've been very kind to host me twice now. And um, my gosh, yes, I'm, I'm hoping to become a better man at the end of this, <laughs> the end of this chat with, with your super skills. No, that's awesome. It was a pleasure to have you on, mate. Uh, the feedback I actually got for our episodes was actually really, really good. Um, I had a few people messaging me, even from the last episode, and that, like... Um, I'd never heard about you before, so it was, uh, it was, it was great. So hopefully you got uh, a few more followers out of it. Mate, it's all a bit weird, if I was honest. Um, sorry, I'm flipping the bloody spotlight onto me, aren't I? But it's maybe a point we can talk about. It, it, it's, it's funny how many people's lives you can touch through this sort of medium. Mm-hmm. And just being yourself, and that's all I ever try to be really um but it's when you hear stuff put put back at you like that that it's i'm just gonna say it's weird i (laughs) i don't know (laughs) i don't know what what like you know how to make make of it all really it's a good weird yeah it is you know uh, there seems to be a lot of us now that are just trying to put good stuff out there Mm. yeah do you think like I'm talking definitely now about my parents' generation and no disrespect to them, you know, everyone does their best in life, right? It's all, it's all you can do. But that post-war sort of era, there was a lot of, let's just say it how it is, there was prejudice, there was superstition, there was um, societal kind of norms, you know, working class culture, middle class, upper class, it was like a a real definite thing. Mm. Um, and there was a lot of like barriers in, 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 in place. In fact, just to give a short, sharp example, when I got all, over all my issues, one of the biggest thing I had to do was just forgive and accept everything that had gone in the past. And the reason I kind of got to that is like talking to my parents, I could see they, they just weren't ready to talk about anything that you and I would call like grassroots mm-hmm. important shit stuff. Kids need to know mm-hmm. stuff. Adults need to know, you know, we've got so many people not happy at the moment. Right. Yeah. yeah. And a, a big leap forward in my own development was realizing, hang on, they, they just had all their shit that generation, you know, they've had this, da, 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 da. They, they, they deal with it the way that they can. And, the way very often was to be like, oh, we don't we don't talk about that, you know, that that I mean, just just drugs, for example. Whoa, oh, oh, hang on, that's all bad. Let's just like not talk about that at all. And mm. and then you get guys like us, AJ, and we're we're coming out and we're we're just trying to do our best, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, not saying that people weren't or authentic and stuff like that, but I think um, a lot of uh, Back in the, I guess back then, for example, and and even still now, um, people just rather 
forget about things and pretend they never happened and stuff like that and not accept accept things and actually like say well actually you know to avoid that happening again how can we what can we do to mitigate things like that or lessons learned sort of thing a lot more people are a lot better at it now um i think the digital age we live in gives people the ability to be able to do a little bit of research for example or or just instantly be able to speak to somebody about something if they really need to um but i think uh like you know i know, I know what you're saying i'll speak to my dad often about when he was a kid growing up and obviously with my my grandfather um being so heavily involved in d-day and and all the aftermath of that um you know what life was like then when he grew up and even as a kid as a if you had a problem or whatever you just got on with it um that's why there's still so many people now uh of that generation not you know my parents age your parents age stuff like that turn their nose up at the how like people communicate and or i guess how um easy people can complain um is what that you know usually a subject top conversation with a lot of people that kind of age and it puts them off you know wanting to uh be on social media or or stuff like that or you know having that kind of taking up their headspace sort of thing because um we, we do live in a much more sort of victim mentality uh world now you know compared to like my dad was a kid for example or the, you know obviously i didn't i wasn't alive then but you, you know it's all plain plain to see that um we clearly do now more than ever um and i think everything that's going on at the minute um, especially, you know, the start of this new year, everything's gone on in our country, in the UK. Um, people are extremely frustrated and angry and um, I wouldn't say just kicking off, but like it's just um, people are, vo- are voicing a lot of um, frustrations and issues and pain points um, more than ever, you know. Um, mm-hmm. I guess some people are finding more time on their hands because of like what the restrictions are. Um, but, you know, nonetheless... Um, I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very strange time we live in, in terms of things like that. And I, uh, do you know, I, I often watch, uh, movies, war movies and stuff like that. And I know it's only a movie, but you see sort of like the people out in the streets, just playing people just stood there talking to each other, you know, like it, it just looked like such simpler times. Um, and when I went to Sierra Leone, uh, earlier in well, this time last year, you know, I just sat there watching kids, for example, uh, just playing with like random sticks and like old tires and stuff. I like stuff we used to do as kids because, you know, we didn't have mobile phones and, uh, you know, Xboxes and all the rest of it. And I was just sat there just watching it, just like, it really made me miss my childhood um, and the simpler times and that. And you just look at me like, well, that's all they got and they make the most of it. Um, no questions just, asked. I was trying to explain to my son, I mean, you've been in Sierra Leone, which is uh, West Africa. I've been down there in Mozambique, East Africa. When I taught the kids there, right, the biggest toy they had, or the only toy, was a football, and it was made from a carrier bag wrapped around itself. Oh, no. Then they got another carrier bag and wrapped it around that, until you got this hoofing great puffball carrier bag thingy that actually had quite some weight to it, so it was... You know, not not on the level of a real football, obviously. Yeah, I've seen a few of those. I, I was just trying to explain to my son that, you know, Christmas isn't just about, in, in we can say this freely, like plastic crap. Mm-hmm. 
that's all going to go into landfill in less than a year's time or, or yeah or, it, it's it's just it's hard to get away from it yeah absolutely it's um and we, we were very uh rigid with this um because me and my wife have got very similar beliefs with all this kind of stuff we're very much about experiences rather than material items um I think if you've like done well in life and you know you've you, you've got the money to do it, you know there's nothing wrong at all. I don't think with buying yourself a nice watch, having a nice car, like all this kind of stuff. Um, for a lot of people, it's you know good material anchors to show where they've come from. To, you know, so, and that's what helps drives them every day to um, to and helps them to acknowledge like where they've come from as well. Um, but you know, we've been very quick when the kids were a bit younger. They're older now, but. Um, we were very, very quick to say, like, we're not buying you plastic cheap toys for Christmas or, you know, that just break or sit in the back of the cupboard till next year, often in their wrappers and that, because that's what happens. Pete almost comes a competition at Christmas time, doesn't it? Where people are like, oh, we need to buy our kids as much as possible. Um, we have to get this now. We need this. They need this. Um, when if you actually accumulate all the money that you end up spending on someone, like you could actually get your children a, a real life experience in something that actually changes the way they might perceive things. So instead of spending loads of money on um, plastic toys or this or that, or the other, that's just only going to can, you know, confine them to their room even more because that's where they need to play with these new toys. You can spend the same amount of money on something that's outside and it's an experience that's, you know, potentially going to help bring out something in them that's going to help them in the future, you know? So like when, when I lived in Australia, we didn't buy the kids toys and stuff. We bought them like little kayaks and bodyboards and that. And then we were actually like, well, we need to use these. So to use them, we've got to go to the beach. And then when you're at the beach, you're outside in the sun, the sand, you know, and everything else that comes with that. Um, and it's, you know, the same this year, you know, like well, we bought my son like driving experiences. Uh, we bought my daughter like feeding giraffes live, at, you know, properly. Um, you know, just all that kind of stuff because she wants to get into some kind of like animal, like biology type stuff when she's older, you know. So that, you know, that that's just us, you know, not everyone has to, you know, do that. I get that. But, um, and, you know, in each to their own. But I think the more experience you give your your kids and all you do, you know, teenagers or even in adulthood at an early age, I think it help, really helps shape their future. So, you know, my kids have lived in England, Germany, you know, from being in the forces um, and Australia. And it's, you know, that, that experience for them at such a young age has helped shape them like now. You know, right right, right now, they're already day one of uh, the school's not going back and having to work from home. It, their frustrations are, are showing because they're having to work from home, but they're both, they're both top sets in their subjects like maths, English and science. But there's only one teacher teaching and they have to, you know, do for the whole year groups so that haven't to learn bottom tier stuff. So um, that's that's a credit to them, you know, being in the top sets all the time because they gain that mentality of, you know, wanting to do better all the time because they can see what that brings by, you know, or what success in those areas will bring you. Gives the opportunity to travel, gives you the opportunity to do all these things because they've experienced it. And they've seen those cultures, you know. Yes massively i'm conscious here that we're here to talk about your story aj so i just wanted to chip in and say my son got a bushcraft knife for christmas <laughs> he's five years old and people went to me you gave him a bushcraft knife at five i said no i gave him a pen knife at one <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's literally there 
the bushcraft knife is next to it and he's his uncle bought him a multi-tool right mm. he can wield an axe now at five years old completely safe he knows how to keep his legs back um you know the other day it was quite a poignant moment aj he shifted his his toy toolkit you know he had one of these like little tool centers or whatever that kids have and a little box of tools and he went that can go in the roof now mommy <laughs> so but yes back to your story mate what you joined the army yeah because the alternative was prison am i am i mm. getting that right yeah yeah so um i was a i was an army brat uh like many people i i served with um and um there was actually many people who went to school with that joined as well and uh, you, you know usually you become a product of your own environment don't you so um i i went, went to school in germany a british school and uh, thoroughly enjoyed it i got a really good education and uh did really well got good grades at school um i'm one of those annoying people that just seems to soak up information so like when it comes to revision and stuff like that, i didn't really do any i was just playing football non-stop um so uh, I ended up still getting good results. And because uh, I was so heavily focused on football, that was the be all and end all for me. And um, I went to AFC Bournemouth after after school because uh, they come and watch me play. And then I went for a trial and then they said they were really keen to sign me. So uh, I signed for them straight from leaving school. And then I went to play with them and went to college uh, on the youth training scheme. Uh, but then I got injured and um, it was actually just- like, AJ, can we just clarify for our American friends? So you, mm. that's, you're a professional footballer, basically. Yeah, training. Yeah, in the, in the youth team uh, of a professional club. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, which, you, which is like a massive dream for anyone yeah. who likes football is to get signed yeah. by a by a proper yeah. club. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, that's all I wanted to do. So um, <clears throat> the uh, yeah. So I injured injured my knee. I like severed a nerve like on the outside of my left leg. Um, and it was actually having like a, just a kickabout on a, on a Sunday evening uh, with some friends, my, one of my cousins. And um, I couldn't feel anything properly in my like my big toe and, and the toe next to it for like a good few months. And uh, the club um, back then wasn't like as rich as it is now. Um, I didn't have to sort of like the medical facilities and and stuff like that. So on like a, you know, a, a youth player that's, you know, they come and go, they do. You know, that's just the reality of it. It's quite cutthroat. Uh, they they released me uh, and that was my dream just shattered and it literally knocked me for six. I didn't have a clue what I was supposed to do, where I was supposed to go. My mum and dad were still living in Germany. So I was like, I was living on my nan and granddad. So I was like living away from home. I was just like, had no idea what I wanted to do and stuff like that. And then um, just, just started getting involved in the wrong crowds, you know, just ha- hanging around with uh, people in pubs and then getting more friendly with them. And, uh, you know, next thing it's like house parties and then it's like, smoking weed and then it's you know one thing to another it's like harder drugs and uh and then i'm hanging you know fully in with these groups of people and um we still got involved with like low level sort of like crime and fraud and stuff like that um and then just got greedy um and got caught and uh but i mean my saving grace was that i was but at that point i got caught and arrested i was actually questioning everything i wanted to do in life anyway and like you know this isn't my future and fully acknowledging that and the day before that i went into the careers office uh in bournemouth uh and ended up signing up to to join the army um and uh another funny turn of events was i actually walked into the careers office 
uh, because I wanted to get out of the rain because <laughs> it was pissing it down. So um, it's funny how things work out. And uh, yeah, so I went in there with like, you know, puffed out chest, like, you know, I think I'm made for this. It's just going to get me away from all the shit that I'm doing now. And it's in the future of, you know, what I'm doing. Um, and I had every intention of joining the Paris. Um, that's what I wanted to do. But um, I walked out of there, big smile on my face, and then I got arrested the next day. Um, went to court very quickly. Um, the two other lads that was sentenced with me, um, they ended up going to, to prison. And, um, you know, we were clearly guilty of what we'd done. We just got greedy, got caught out. And uh, But then the judge said, look, you know, the, the solicitor said, that, you know, Mr. Roberts is... He's joining, you know, the army, he applies to join the army. He's got, you know, his stepfather's in the army. He's got this background, blah, blah, blah. And the judge said, look, you, get, you, you follow it through. And if it's not followed through within X amount of time, I can't remember what they said, um, you're going to be joining your, your friends basically in a cell. And that was literally a saving grace. You join the army or go to prison. Um, bit of a no-brainer. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and then I um, ended up, you know, going through the, the motions of, uh, selection stuff like that and it wasn't until after selection uh my stepdad was just like if you join the paras with those grades that you've got um i'm gonna kick your head in um so i, I didn't end up joining the paras end up joining the royal engineers um and you know to get a trade and all this kind of stuff and that, you know something to fall back on as they say when you get out um and yeah can we can we just analyze that a bit mate because and I've got no dog in this fight. I, I'm I'm too old to really give a shit, to be honest. But <laughs> it, you do meet a lot of people over the years whose old man went, no, you're not joining the Marines. You're not yeah, joining yeah, the yeah. Paris. You need to get a trade. And in fairness, I remember when I was struggling after leaving the Corps and my mate Rob, hello, Rob, if you ever get to watch this, he was Royal Engineers and he just left and started driving cranes and he's getting, you know, 500 quid a week to do to drive a crane. Well, I, I was unemployed and skin couldn't see any future. Certainly I wasn't qualified for it as a Marine, you know, mm, I mean, yeah, yeah. security guard, maybe I wasn't a, Oh, one sec, mate. So yeah. Um, so yeah, there's my mate who joined the engineers and it, and it came good for him. You know, he, he, he got a job driving cranes and there's me, I couldn't get a job doing anything. So what, but what I will say in hindsight is I am sort of glad I joined the Marine. <laughs> I shouldn't yeah, no. say this to an engineer, maybe. No, but... no, 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 no. I totally agree. I totally agree. And it's just, um, but you know, uh, it's everything. Yeah, hindsight is obviously beautiful, isn't it? And, you know, I, I look back and I spent, I spent two years of my career at Chatham in Kent um, doing trade courses and that, like for something I never ever touched. So, you know, it doesn't mean, it, it, yeah, I think you've got to have the intention of actually going, yeah, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and follow and actually using it, following through. But um, the units I went to just never gave me the, well, ne there was no need for the trade because uh, I, I did like refrigeration and air conditioning. And um, if you said to me, you know, I remember getting to a unit and the only time, uh, I, there was even mention of using my trade was uh, someone saying to me, can you go and have a look at the, uh, the fridges in the, uh, the officer's mess because all the alcohol's uh, warm. <laughs> that was it. And I'd, I I didn't have a clue what I was doing. I was, I was literally just on like most lads just uh, on the town most nights. Um, you know, you just kind of turn up, didn't you? Soak it all in. And um, I, I, I've never used my trade at all in the military. Um, and I guess 
the only really transferable stuff that I use today yeah, from the military stuff is actually being on operations, doing like real shit, like doing army stuff. Um, you know, those, uh, those experiences where you're, you need to take a, you know, like command and control, take a step back, like assess situations under high pressure and all that kind of stuff. And actually, um, you know, being in them environments is, you know, like you do, I think helps shape you a hell of a lot more um, than any like trade courses you do and, and stuff like that. Cause I had no intention, like as I, when I left the army to go on to be like a refrigeration or air conditioning technician, it was just the process you follow in the military at the time. Um, you know, you go do a trade course. Yeah. And also it should be mentioned that you saw a hell of a lot more action than I probably did, <laughs> you know, we're talking in a, in a combat theater here. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, well, when I went to Iraq, it was like quiet ish, um, there was still a lot going on. It was on the early date, on the early telex. Uh, and then Afghan was, um, yeah, it was pretty hairy, to be honest. But I, I think I probably, on my tour, I probably had the best, because I was a corporal a commander when um, on my last Afghan tour. And I probably had the, probably one of the best tours of any of the other corporals in the unit, really, because I wasn't just staying with, like, my guys all the time. I was getting, like, drafted out and pulled, and I was getting attached to, like, SF and... Just you know, on my aim with like one 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 sapper I'd be bringing with me, um, you know, attached to Laz and Paul, like uh, attached to um, BRF, you know, like all, all times of people. It was, it was really great because there was calls to come through saying you need these people. So you know, that, and and this goes to show you what the importance I think of like trying to keep your A game up all the time, especially when you're in the military, because I think in regular units there's quite a lot of scope for a lot of scope especially nowadays and what i've seen a lot of people are quite happy to just you know like plod along if you know what i mean and they're they're not in the army anymore it's just literally like nine to five wearing uniform um and uh i use i use an example right when the when the redundancy started happening i think it was the second tranche happened and it was whilst i was actually in afghan my my staff sergeant applied for it and um we uh, I, we used to take the mick out of him and stuff out of having like core coloured garden table and stuff like this, you know, when we were out around his house at barbecues. But in reality, even though we applied for redundancy and that, like financially, it was the best thing for him, you know. And he'd come to the, it was just doing a, you know, a full blown operational tour, which was quite stressful and kinetic and stuff like that. And I, I was kind of like, well, good on you, you know what I mean? You've like, you've done all this stuff in your career, you've done Bosnia, Kosovo, Iraq, Afghan. What's, so what's the big deal when maybe cutting it short a couple of years early and still being financially better off? Um, you, you know, you've done soldering, you've done what you wanted to do out of it all. And like those people, those staff sergeants, those warrant officers and stuff like that at that period, like they were in the army, you know, they had core coloured garden tables. They they had like, you know, fucking every engineer builds his own bar. Um they had all that stuff. Whereas like now people in the same rank stuff out, like don't have any of that, you know, most of them don't even have army pictures in their toilets. You know, it's, again, the stuff that we like take the mick out of back then, but that, like people now just don't, they're not in the army anymore. And I know it's not their fault. A lot of them, they're not on operational tours. You know, there's no like real active raw stuff going on where blokes, you know, guys and girls are getting real sort of theater experience and um, the stuff that like can shape you so well in other areas of your life. You know, it's helped shape me. It's helped me make the business I've made because I have that experience and been able to create those levels of mindset, which I can teach people, you know, that you don't get on TV street. 
Um, so, so yeah, you know, the, the operational stuff is, uh, is, is a massive blessing to so many people if you let it. Yeah. I'm, I'm fascinated, fascinated to know how do you transfer that to what you teach now then what what are some sort of grassroots philosophies or, or strategies i think um i think I, I i think the the ability to be able to stand back and assess a situation and actually be be curious and open-minded about stuff like and question everything um i think more now than ever like you know everything going on there's two very different sides isn't there right to what's going on you're either pro or against like however the government are doing stuff right you know it's there they're in plain sight to see for everybody um i think military people especially are, are questioning a lot more stuff because that's what we all do in the military like do you know when you're like you're told by your corporal commander whatever that you know right like, we're going here we're going to do this and this is what we're going to do the first thing you ask is why isn't it like everyone does it's like the first thing you do you ask why why are we doing this like what is the purpose what is the need do we really need to do it um and military people are very very good and astute at doing that and i think you know i'm seeing it like every day now uh more more and more every day with everything that's going on um yeah so let's, I, um let, let i'll just chip in there agent so let's not mention any of the yeah, I know. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. It just makes yeah. things, everyone knows what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. It's a, don't worry, I won't use the other dreaded words. Yeah. But um, what I'm finding is, I don't know if it's a divide or whether that's just in my head, but there seems to be these the old boys, if we can call them that, they just fucking believe all the shit they see on TV, don't they? Mm. But it depends what your uh, your actual outlets of media are. Um, so if you if you're if you're quite uh, if you if your only outlet is like a few uh, vet groups on Facebook and a few old boys that you've added and stuff like that, which is what many of them do, um, and then you watch the news three times a day, you're going to form a, a particular opinion, just like the elderly, um, which is why so many, which is why hundreds and thousands of them are very scared and you know locked up in their houses because they don't want to go anywhere because they think they're going to, you know. Um, they think they're at massively high risk and you know they they do unfortunately fall into the same category because you, you you are and you become what you put in your head you know it's as simple as that um the the younger the younger versions or sorry the younger people um the people are more uh curious and open-minded as i mentioned before i think they're two very important words to describe people you are or you aren't i think the more curious you become that the much better life you'll have, um, you know, and that like, like when I went to Sierra Leone, for example, I went there very curious about everything, and it just had a huge impact on me, and had a massive impact on the people that I met. Um, but the the people, uh, like you say, who their only outlet to anything or information is Karen on Facebook, and um, and the news. You're only going to get one side of a, of a of a story, like like at all. Um, and I think this weekend has proved uh, with the sheer amount of so-called specialists that have been caught out actively lying to the media um, and crisis actors like on Sky News that have been caught out um, and Radio 5. Um, I just think goes to show that, um, you know, not everything's as, as privy as uh, and rosy as what people make out or one sided. I think we should shush there just because it's <laughs> it, it, 
no no everything you say mate is so valid it's just that i've been saying this for 20 years <laughs> right and now i'm seeing some of the people and this is no like sour grapes because i don't really i don't really care to be honest but i'm seeing some of the people that used to poo poo me because i dared suggest that you know you you read something like project for new american century before you make your your, your, your summary on what happened in in the Middle East and and the um, what's the paper that they wrote rebuilding America's defenses. Mm. It, I'm just highlighting two things there that clearly show what you see in the media is not it's not the reality. And I, I guess a lot of people are coming head to head with that now. Depends what the tools are at your disposal, doesn't it? If you're an old school guy that just watches your BBC, you ain't got a clue about the counter shit that's going on. Mm. The the investments involved, the players, the the yeah, corporate um, crime, um, for for want of a better word. And then you got young people coming up that have maybe you know honed their teeth on. I was going to say the Joe Rogan show, but that's kind of not the same show it was in, in honesty when I started watching it. You know, it was a very mm. open, open show um, in the early de- earlier days, I should say. It's gone on for 10 years now. But um, and yeah, you've got young people, they've got social media at their disposal. So whether they like it or not, they're subjected to these alternative views. Mm. And I guess it's only a matter of time before you've heard so many different alternatives that mm. don't agree with the mainstream that you've got to go, ah, yeah, maybe there is something going mm. on here. I, I think a lot of it has to do with um, a lot of pe- uh, people's traits. You know, uh, some people just are so blasé to everything. You know, they just literally just kind of go, okay, yeah, whatever. I'm trying not to listen to too much of it because it's all negative, blah, blah. And they literally shut everything off. Um, I think that's all very well and good. However, there's got, you've got to be quite careful with like that. And I had this conversation with my brother's, uh, uh, sorry, my son's uh, girlfriend's mum about this morning, just because that's what they've been doing. Cause they've had their own issues start to deal with, you know, putting food on the tables with one. Um, but when it comes to later on down in the line, as in what people have to do or whether people have to lock down, you know, and all this kind of stuff, I think there's got there's got to be times where people actually question like why am I actually having to do this, um, and then that's what triggers people to doing their own research and stuff like that. But you know it is it is very confusing. There is so much stuff out there. There is so many so much noise. Um, uh, so you know, like anything in life, I think if you want to do well at something, and I'm including this as in do well in t- terms of finding what is the right information that serves you. You need to surround yourself with the people who are very, very knowledgeable, have backgrounds and this, that and the other. So, you know, like this instance, there are people that are screaming from the rooftops who are super qualified, um, have amazing backgrounds, who are sharing the correct data, the correct information, um, you know, on a daily basis. And it's growing massively. Um, I, I'm actually quite interested personally to see what the next two weeks hold up because it's growing that quickly uh, it's to a point where I don't think it can be drowned out for too much longer. Um, I've got okay. I've got Emma Kenny on my show tomorrow um, from this morning show. What to what's their name? 
uh, Emma Kenny, she's from This Morning Show. Um, she She's just done a brilliant YouTube video about the impact this whole thing's having on children, um, her kids. And, you know, she's so active in wanting to protect kids' mental health as much as possible. So she's using her, her, her stature for that in the right manner, which is brilliant. Um, and I'm looking forward to actually sitting down and having a proper full-blown conversation about this all. Uh, with her tomorrow on, on my show it comes out on Wednesday, um, and uh, yeah, she's very vocal about it all on on Twitter and um, and YouTube. The thing is, though, right? You can peel all this back to to a much simpler layer than than the the obfuscation that's going on in 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 the bloody media. And it have you seen you must have seen jurassic park right i think everyone's seen jurassic park there's a classic line in it where the um uh what's the scientist's name the jeff jeff goldblum is it oh yeah 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 right and he's looking at the old fella played by um mate your memory's better than mine what uh, oh it's amber amber yes yes sorry was it there's richard and dave or was it richard? Yeah, it's richard yeah richard amber yeah and, and his character's going, yes, look, we've got this great park. We've got these fences. It's all controlled. And, and the Jeff Goldblum character just looks at him and says, life will find the way. Life will find the way, all right? Okay, don't quote me on it, but it's something like that. And it to me, just the stupid notion that anything that crops up in life, we don't even have to say the word, that you can control it by... It, I, it, it, it's it's just so ridiculously facile that it's juvenile to the point of of non-thinking mm. you know people have to die it's called life mm. and if you get old and you haven't let's be honest looked after yourself and that's no slight on anyone some people don't know how to look after themselves some people were indoctrinated by the parents generation some people don't care they want to bloody drink 20 beers a day right mm -hmm. you know but it's going to come to you we are all going to die yeah we absolutely are all going to die and if it happened to somebody that i love what mm. would i say i'd say we're all going to die sorry you know mm. I, I live in the real world um and that's the problem like i've got people in my own family doing it they're like so hell-bent on spending each day dying they're not living if that makes sense because they're locking themselves away um as a healthy person under the idea that they could be walking around with uh, you know some kind of infection and that's what's happened on the masses people have been brainwashed into thinking they're walking physically walking around with an infection um just like it's been out over the last well since christmas this uh this new variant is a uh, highly contagious in children when there's no science whatsoever that backs it up and they're doing it at a time when they're mass testing in schools with a test that is so inaccurate it's just criminal to use in the first place which is going to drive the numbers up which uh, again drive uh, you know which they it's i think it's just the whole thing is just criminal how they can say that children are more um more contagious and i'm, I'm glad that top medical professionals and top medical governing bodies have come out this weekend and said that it is totally inaccurate, um, especially against that idiot that came on Radio 5 Live and said that like the whole children's ward's absolutely full with, uh, you know, patients and 
um, stuff like that. And, you know, she didn't even apologize for lying. Um, and, and, that's the, and that's the problem that people are facing, you know, and no wonder so many people are scared and worried and confused. You know, my, my, my dad's one of them. He just doesn't know what to believe. Um, Mate, got... they get, they, people get to a certain age where if they've been in that system, you know, the matrix long enough, they, you can't, you know, there's nothing you can say, right? They, mm. they believe it. They genuinely, you know, uh, and it, and it gets, it gets hard. You know, you see a post on social media, so-and-so died the other day, 44 or 46 or 48, no underlying can, well, it's like, I get it. That isn't nice that anyone dies, right? Although we all have to. What what do you mean by no underlying conditions? How how do you know? You know, you, you, it, it's just an easy thing to say yeah, of course in, is, yeah. in the media to belittle the people that that have a perspective like us, right? There's no like first thing I check on anyone health wise. Are you alkaline, right? What what shit are you putting in your body? Are you running on acid all day long? Because if you are, you're going to get sick, son. <laughs> I don't mm -hmm. care. I don't care who you are. You're going to get sick. Mm -hmm. um, There's it, it, so many variables, so many variables. And then, of course, there's the fact that um, the the ways of detecting these means don't seem to work. <laughs> don't seem to work. Um, sorry, I've, I've, I'm, I'm, I'm laughing at the ludicrousness of it all. Not 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 of people dying, obviously. It's, it's happening all over the world at the minute. There's uh, in Germany, there's like a, a massive class action already building up now against uh, the government for crushing loads of businesses um, based off false numbers of a test that is massively inaccurate that doesn't actually test for it um, alone. It's uh, you know you you could have a little sniffle and it's you, you you're told not positive, make positive, positive, um, and uh, that's what's skyrocketing all the numbers. Um, the, the, the British Medical Journal just literally brought uh, an article out which they outright say that they thoroughly um, suggest not to use mass testing on a population that is healthy and asymptomatic because asymptomatic people, again, this has been just been brought out, asymptomatic people do not transmit it. Mm. Um, so you're mass testing a population of healthy people using a test which doesn't test purely for that outside a clinical environment. Um which is just going to give you a huge number of false positives, which we're then going to use to make the decisions of what we do as a whole country. Mate, let's, um, let's break from it there because I think your story is far more inspiring <laughs> than what's going on at, at, at the minute. AJ, just bear with us one sec. So AJ, tell us about your, your combat experience. Just, you know, be ashamed to have you on the podcast and not ask. Yeah. So, um, I, I get the majority of it is obviously more Afghan based and um, uh, it was being attached to people, I think, that got the most of it. Um, doing explosive entry into compounds, you know, rushing through with uh, with the people I was attached to, whether that was uh, sort of pool or um, BRF or, you know, infantry units. Um, it was it was brilliant. It was like doing proper, proper soldiering, you know. Uh, but then on, on the flip side of that, you know, even being in the engineers, it's, it's quite strange, really, because you could go with like your section doing like a little construction building job, uh, and then suddenly, you, you know, you've got your, or you know, you're within the confinements of like an infantry unit, and the next thing you get, 
attacked and then you're straight away on the defensive, um, getting the rounds down, doing whatever, you know, you need to do. So it's, uh, it does have its kind of like flip side, whereas like infantiers were very much infantiers, you know, they get into their scraps and stuff like that. But being the engineers unit based where I was in, um, uh, Fobulet, mainly in Fobulet, um, we're always out like, every day like doing something, you know, and you've got to be an infantier first. So we were out on the ground like every day, whereas a lot of a lot of the infantier lads would be, you know, they'd, they'd be doing it in, uh, like taking turns. Like, so we're going out every second or third day. Um, so we found ourselves like in a lot more scraps and, um, and coming onto contacts than any of the uh, sort of like the, a lot of the units were that we were based with. Um, but yeah, I think being a, doing like the explosive entry side of things, uh, doing sort of night patrols which is a little bit quite scary like um i remember i got attached to pwrr uh, i think it was when uh, brian wood was with them actually because so that's why uh who are they uh, Peter, uh prince wells royal regiment um and i think old brian wood mc was with them then and i remember uh that's teach all their all their guys how to build a infantry assault bridge because we basically patrolled all through the night um to this crossing point and then as soon as it hit the crack of dawn went straight across this big gap uh using the infantry assault bridge and assaulted this big uh well i would say big village it was like a, it was a little village obviously uh and then i was taking out a lot of the firing points that a lot of the enemy were using with uh half bar mines and stuff like that which is uh pretty cool you know you, ne- you never say no to a bit of bang um which is great and uh, yeah that was the, like the majority of that tour really um Unfortunately, there was a, we had instances where we uh, there was people lost and stuff like that. Um, we lost one of our our lads in our unit, Bondi. Um, he was the lead vehicle on a bridge recce, um, top cover, and there was, he actually said on the net, I, "I can see someone crouching down in the bush," and there was a huge explosion, and uh, his vehicle like flipped three times, um, and the poor lad was shot out of it. And um, he, I mean, luckily, said luckily for his parents he was brought home and he passed away from his head injuries like but had his family around him if you know what i mean uh, mm-hmm. um which was the best thing in a bad situation i think um uh and then unfortunately right at the end of my tour we um it was a huge explosion outside this uh fob we were staying at and we got crashed out to it and it was um the, uh, it was basically five five lads from the Yorks, three Yorks, and one lad from the commandos from the Duke of Lan- Lancasters. Um, they, they were in a warrior vehicle and they went over a huge charge. Uh, they reckon it was like over 100 kilos. But uh, unfortunately, it, no, it had been known about. Um, so I don't see what happened with the investigations, but they went over it. And uh, I think they were just kind of getting trying to get used to the grounds because they were taken over. Um, they were just fairly new in theatre. Uh, the vehicle exploded and then there was a lot of horrendous commotion. Um, took about 10 hours to get into the vehicle because the uh, the ammunition was going off in the back. So obviously you could just open the, prize the door open because you didn't know what was going to fly out. And, you know, being an infantry vehicle, you know, for a fact, they're going to have like UGLs and 762, 5.56, everything in there. So um, it, the commander, unfortunately, was uh, found about 100 metres away. Um and yeah, the young lads in the back were like just unrecognisable. Um, and I think it took about three days to officially identify them all before their names were released on the news. 
Um, so yeah, it's, you know, it, like a lot of people, it comes with its territories. A lot of people get out of it, what they want in terms of soldiering and doing what they joined to do and all that kind of stuff. But then obviously it has its downsides. And I think, but before, before that tour, um, I was, uh, I was with a group of lads and, um, our friend Jonah was killed out in Afghan and we were, I was stationed in the UK at the time and his wife, she asked uh, his close friends to to bury him rather than have a normal sort of stand on standby burial party uh, do it. So um, that that was a big wake up call for me actually because um, we we had to like go and prep. You know, we obviously heard the news. We got told about it, it was devastating. Absolutely gutted. Just you never think it's going to happen to one of your good mates. Like you know, like while you're not there. Um, and uh, yeah, we 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 had to go and practice like doing the, the, you know, carrying them off the plane and all this kind of stuff. And it was like, just a whole buildup was like horrible. It was really was like, you just every day practicing, taking a, a coffin with big boxes of paper to simulate the weight of a body um, up and down, a, you know, down a ramp and then off to the right. Cause that's what you got to do. And you're just doing it again and again and again. And it's just becomes part of like your subconscious almost that you, you, you know, so you know what you're doing and it's, it's horrible. Um, and then the plane came into Bryce Norton, um, and we went there and, uh, got onto the plane. It was him and his driver, uh, that unfortunately were killed in a jackal. And then I'll tell you what, mate, when that curtain got like pulled back and you see like the coffin with, you know, it's got your mate in with the union jack on it, man, what a punch in the stomach that is. It's like, you could, you kind of lose a feeling in your gut, if you know what I mean. You can just, it's like it's just falling down through your legs. It's like really odd feeling. Um, and then I was front man, my right hand man on that on the on the uh, on the coffin. And I remember vividly coming down the ramp off the off the plane, and then turning right. And then as soon as I turned right, just full front straight in front of me is Mrs. Joe sat right there in front of me. Last up, like carrying a husband, like it was just. It was a real, it wasn't a nice feeling at all. I instantly had to, I kind of obviously acknowledged she was there, but I just had to look up and just stare at the roof of the tent they were sat in so I didn't keep eye contact with her. Um, and then put put him into the hearse. And then uh, I think it was about three weeks later that he was, that, uh, and obviously then he goes through, went through um, uh, Wooten Bassett. Um, and then we went and buried him three weeks later in his hometown in Newport. Um, and it, even that, that whole process was horrible uh, we had to go and dress the coffin the night before and um we went to the local chapel of rest to do it all where he was and uh before we walked in um th- thinking obviously it's just going to be the coffin and now we had to put the, the union jack on uh the the guy uh, the funeral director was having a bit of a chat with us and then we walked in and uh there he is in his green kit like all like kind of done up um with the lid off and we weren't expecting it at all it was like really weird and it kind of didn't look like him a bit, you know, he had like really like brushed up, like almost like blow dried hair. Um, and straight away, like in good old fashion, we were just stood around him, cracked open a bottle of port, was spinning like funny, spinning funny dits about him. And then, uh, and then, yeah, like the cork from the bottle we, uh, we put on his, on his chest and that, and, uh, before we put the lid on, um, but then we went and put the lid on and, the, it's got like these little clasps on top of the, the coffin lid and the big sort of screws that go through it to, to lock it into the actual main box weren't long enough. <laughs> uh, 
so we were there in like uh in a funeral parlor like with him lying there dead like in his green kit next to us like not being able to put the lid on and we ended up like getting like some uh kitchen butter knife like taking these clasps off to replace them with new ones and we're there like next to him like knocking little nails in on his uh on the lid to put these different clasps on so we could actually put the actual lid, lid on properly so it would lock and I'm, we were all just like man he will be pissing himself <laughs> like he will be it's just so weird and surreal but like that whole experience i think like really like hardens my stomach a bit if you know what i mean um in terms of like the reality of like what actually happens and goes on and in an instant a family can lose a loved one and the whole life's turned upside down because when i was like we were lowering him into the ground um i was you know i was like literally face facing joanne and, and his kids like she's there like with her arms around the kids and i'm like lowering her husband their dad into the ground and it's like it's a sorrowing experience it really is um but i i, I genuinely believe that like an ex- experiences like that kind of shape me for who i am now um and i've often often shared with people uh Unfortunately, my best friend uh, committed suicide uh, three years ago uh, in the sergeant's mess in, in Tidworth in Wiltshire. And um, he was a nightmare of alcohol and he just he took things too far because he had a, a fallout with his missus. Um, and it was kind of like an, an I'll show you type thing. Um, and uh, he hung himself on the back of his door. And I remember... Um, uh, well, obviously we had, we had to go do his funeral. It was a full military funeral and everything else like that. And I did the eulogy at his funeral. And it was actually, re- it was generally at that point when I, I was, st- I had no re- uh, you know, no idea that I wanted to go on to do guest speaking and all this kind of stuff and, you know, motivational stuff to inspire people. Um, I always wanted to do it. I always knew that I could do it. But it was actually at that point when I had like a whole church, it was full to the rafters with people like spewing outside and everything that everyone's... Um, everyone's eyes were fixed on me to give them some kind of inspiration, some laughter, some like little bit of hope to take them away from that current realization that their loved one had like was, was not around anymore. Um, and, you know, I delivered this, you know, pretty good like eulogy and had everyone wetting themselves like, uh, and did a good job of it. And I sat down and my mistress was just like, man, like, are you not nervous? And I was like, no, I was just like, it felt right. Do you know what I mean? Um, and you know, I was like, I should, I, I should do this more often. And by that, I don't mean like stand at people's doing people's eulogies for them. You know, I'm not gonna make, I don't really want to make a habit of that. But um, that's when I kind of really knew. I was like, right, I, I need to really do something with this and kind of like package it almost to um, help the masses. You know, and that's where that was kind of like the start, really, of like my actual like proper coaching business, if you know what I mean um and then going on to do talks and you know and stuff like that really how do you peel back a bit it, it's a big old thing to put yourself out there right mm. um you see a lot on social media these adverts that crop up and it's some guy professing to why am i actually having to change do your life or some girl and and they've got a book <laughs> right it's it's 39.99 but you don't pay postage or printing yeah yeah <laughs> yeah that would just not but even still i always think it's a big old thing to put yourself out there to be able to coach other people is what i'm saying right mm-hmm. yeah i agree for myself aj I, I i'm a bit more grassroots it, 
it's more like I've had a bit of shit in my life, <laughs> right? Which I embrace. I learned some lessons from it and they kind of helped me smile every day, if I was honest, you know? Even, yeah, 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 of course. Even on my worst days, I'll still smile and there's nothing that I want from life and there's nothing that life needs to give me. I don't aspire to anything other than, you know, just to keep this happy little bandwagon going along. Um, so I offer people like support from that perspective, right? You know, if you want to come on my Patreon or my, watch some of my YouTube videos, great. I'll, I'll, I'll help you wear a hat where I can. <laughs> I might do something stupid like run 200 miles over Christmas. And, and I hope you get something from that to, to see that some of us that were written off probably by uh, a lot of people in society actually are, are capable of a lot more than the, the people that wrote us off right yeah, yeah. That, that that's the limit of my you know i did a talk recently to a corporation and i just told them the basics mate you know smile at the sun give appreciation for your life mm. jog around the black uh, jog around the block take a bit of action this kind of stuff right but you seem to be smashing it which is like for me like a, a a different level you know yeah and I, I think the reason why i've kind of made this a success is because um i've just been relentless okay is the best word to use i think in, in my pursuit for having like the best life possible because of what i've been through in the past i think and i've seen life lost you know in horrible fashion um through the same as everybody else you know for you know the loved ones through old age or illnesses and stuff like that um uh, it just gives me it's just i just have this like uh, like endless appreciation for living the best possible life um obviously like uh, i didn't go on to mention earlier but when i uh finished that afghan tour i i left the army in 2013 and moved to australia as you know with my family mm. um had a great life out there, you know, I ended up having my own gym and, um, was coaching, um, you know, a lot of people out there, but more, more to do with like strength and conditioning and stuff like that more so than, uh, sort of personal development and business and stuff, but, um, coaching nonetheless, you know, so must, you know, massively transferable skill. Um, and it was the experience of having to come back from the UK because we were so royally screwed over. Um, and we lost everything, you know, like we were, spent all our savings just to live over there because of the type of visa we were on. And that's when it was like, well, we need to go back to UK. We have to, we haven't got a choice. So we, you know, come back to UK in uh, end of 2015 with literally the bags on my back, no money. Uh, I was actually in debt. Uh, and that was five years ago. Um, and it's experiences like that, I think help shape you because it, you know, it's, it caused me to be relentless. And I remember, Go, you know, I spent about a month trying to find, not trying to find myself, but trying to work out, like, oh, what do I want to do? Like now I'm back in the UK. Um, I wasn't entitled to anything, like, because I've been out of the country. So the government, like, we couldn't get child benefit. We, I wasn't entitled to a council house, even as a veteran. Like, I wasn't entitled to a council house, like nothing, because I was hadn't lived in the country for like three or four months after being back. Um, so we were living at the top of my mom and dad's pub which was the busiest pub in the whole town so you know my kids were subjected to every night screaming shouting swearing you know fighting at weekends just like all that kind of stuff that you get in a, a boy you know a bustling british pub 
Um, and it's massively affected everyone's mental health. And I remember having a breakdown on the side of the road in my little Peugeot 206, because that's all I could uh, afford at the time. Um, and having a serious word myself, like saying, like, what the fuck do I do now? now? Like, this isn't me. Like, this isn't me. Like, I do not, you know, I've got too many strong moral values and everything. I don't belong to be, I don't, know, I don't belong on my ass. Um, you know, what am I going to do? And that was kind of a bit of a turning point for me where, I was like, right, let's 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 get the fuck out of Dodge and uh, let's do something about it. You know, the only way is up and all the rest of it. So uh, that's when I rejoined the army um, to get us back on our feet. And, you know, I literally walked straight back in. It was mental. It was like I'd been on holiday. Uh, I literally had to do an audio. <laughs> like I said, I didn't have to do like any tests, like nothing. I was like, here's your green kit. You know, to praise, praise eight o'clock on Monday. All right, okay. Uh, to be fair, I knew a lot of the people at the, the unit anyway, so it wasn't too bad. So uh, did you it was on the same, the same, the same outfit, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But well, I was actually in UK. Like my last unit was in Germany, but uh, I ended up joining the regiment in Tidworth uh, in, in Wiltshire. Um, and uh, but I knew a lot of people there anyway, so it was just literally just it was a change of scenery, change of faces, really. Um, just walked straight back in. Like, All right, lads. Um, the, uh, the management had already set the tone like for uh, retention by telling everybody that I sold all my businesses in Australia to come back and rejoin the army because I missed it so much. <laughs> um, I was like, um, said no serviceman ever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it was, um, you know, that, that period I, I was in for another two years, but uh, I left purely because I've got compartment syndrome in my shins. Uh, so I can't like run or like walk fast for considerable, but even a short amount of time without being in a lot of pain. Um, I, I was just at a point where it's not cu- really curable to a, a strong enough percentage to warrant the operation that you need for it. Uh, what, what, what actually is it? Because that sounds familiar to me. Mm. So compartment syndrome is a form of shin splint where uh, the outside muscle on your your legs um goes like really rock solid because the sheath around the muscle doesn't expand when like blood flows through it yeah um so uh it, you just end up with like excruciating pain and like you lose a feeling in your feet in all sorts it's horrible um it's really not nice and like the there is an operation to kind of like decompress it uh but say that's my uh my leg there you literally from the knee downwards you have a scar going like, all the way down to your ankle pretty much um and there's only about a 40 50 percent chance it works and that's on like young lean people and i'm quite a well-built bloke um which you know probably didn't help my shins much in the first place but um i didn't have any problems with them when i was out the army so um it's it was just you know going straight back in weight on my back running around webbing on like in I, boots all that kind of stuff i had that in training mm. towards the end oh, of very the- common Towards like week week twenty four of our 30, 30 weeks or thirty two weeks, I think it was, I started to get this this thing where I just this excruciating agony down the outside of my shins. And if I had to describe it, I'd say the muscle was like getting too big for the sheath. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's it. Um, yeah, because the sheath doesn't expand. That's why. Yeah, yeah, and it was they the the corporal ordered me into the rat vehicle, right? Which is something you never you never get in a rat vehicle, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, I wouldn't get in it, so I just tagged onto the back of the troop and I kept running. And then when he yeah. saw me, he wasn't very happy. He was like, "Fool, 
I told you to get in a rat vehicle and I was like, okay, okay. It's the only time in training mm. I got in a rat vehicle. It was a similar situation, mate. Cause uh, you have, we, we, in the army, you call it the Jack wagon. And, um, uh, it was a similar situation. Like, so we did this like uh, Christmas cracker green PT thing. And literally in minutes, like I think of the warm up, I was like, wow, my shins are in clip. Um, and it was like a six miler, like logs and stretches and all this kind of stuff, you know, like CEO's competition. And um, like I, I stupidly grizzed it, like, and I spent probably three or four miles of that not being able to feel my feet, which is, it was probably, you know, just, and that's the thing as well in the military, it was just to not show face. I'm like, I'm like, I'm a, I'm a corporal uh, full screw. I was like, I can't be showing weakness to the, the guys and stuff like that, you know, and it's just uh, that mentality is not a good thing. Um, it really isn't because you can do yourself a lot of damage and uh, you know, it's, it's situations like that, which, um, you know, can, you know, really do people in um, and really badly affect their long game, if you know what I mean. Uh, so it, it didn't help me at all. Um, although, you know, at the time they're like, Oh yeah, you really grizzed that. Well done. You know, like, God, I can't imagine like, how much pain you must've been in. And, but then that lasts about a day and then you're like spending the next week, like with legs and shit state. I got AJ. I got over, obviously I got over it cause I, I passed out with my original troop. Must've been a green berry, mate. Well, I'm just trying to say something constructive for people that listen that might have experienced what we're talking about. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's um, because it, people, yeah, it's the same as a lot of injuries, right? So I, I had uh, I had three slit discs and loads of nerve damage from an injury in the, in the army. When it happened, I'm like, oh my God, I didn't go, oh my God, I got slit discs. I didn't know. Same with like compartment syndrome or if on the inside of your legs uh, where your shin bone is, you can get medial tibial stress, stress syndrome, which is, it almost feels like you've got like a build up of like a ball almost under the bone. that just wants to pop out. Um, yeah. But unless you physically know what the symptoms are and what the, you know, the prognosis is that you have no, you won't, you don't know. So, um, you know, they are the symptoms of those kind of things and runners get it. Um, it's not, it's, it's, it's a lot more from an outfit point of view. It's a lot more common in the military than anywhere. Um, I think the person who creates something that prevents shin splints in the military is going to be a very well-off person. <laughs> yeah, exactly. My, like I say, mine went away. I mean, within a week or two, mm. but I remember it. Oh my God. It's like having iron rods down the front of your shins, isn't it? You know, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. really, really painful. Mm. I'm not, I'm, I'm honestly not sure how I, like I didn't do any um, fizz, to get over it you know like um physiotherapy or anything i just is that there's not i don't like from from my experience there's nothing really that physio wise that can stop you from getting it it's because like you know you've got the perineal nerve and everything in that muscle as well so it's just a it's a it's just a build-up of like pressure that happens or it doesn't um you know to that's how that's why they say the decompression operation is the only real thing that can stop it but it's not guaranteed to work. Uh, and you can end up with big fuck off scars all down your legs. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I wasn't trying to be a leg model or anything, hmm. or, you know, or like model swimwear, but like I didn't, I also didn't want to have like massive scars down my legs. Can, for something can, that wouldn't can work. you run now? Yeah, I can, but I just don't run for long periods of time. Um, it, things like playing football and that's not an issue because it's like short, sharp, 
you know, little little sprints or change of directions and stuff like that. Um, but even even after running or after playing football and stuff like that, the the legs on the outs the muscles on the outside of my legs, I'll have um, you know a lot of soreness there, just like DOMS, like you would do on any other part of your body if you trained it, um, you know, for a good three or four days. Yeah, got you. AJ, bringing it forward then to your coaching career, because I'm conscious mm. what what you can offer people watching. Um, Lifetime of happiness. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how does it work on, say, an individual basis or a... Or... Yeah, so um, I, I've worked with a lot of people like since I, I left the military, um, and I like to base it a lot on mindset because although, you know, we can be physically fit um, or you know, get big into your nutrition and, and your fitness and stuff like that. Uh, we need a strong foundation, like no matter what we're doing, you know, up top, whether that you own a business, um, whether that you're, you know, corporate, you know, very career minded, whether, you're, you know, you're a student and stuff like that, that you've got exams coming up. Like if you, you need to have a strong mindset to get the best results. Um, so I focus a lot on the mindset of, of people, um, and more, more so towards business and corporates because um, people are always trying to take those elements to their next level. Um, and I like working with those type of people. They're like my ideal client, you know, people that have businesses that are trying to improve their brand, um, the brand awareness uh, and get better results with their business. Um, and as, as a result of that, I've actually built my own syllabuses. So like proper structured four week, eight week, 12 week packages that can take people in their businesses uh, or their brands and, or even through their careers, if they're trying to, you know, trying to get to an executive level, um, you know, it's just trying to get to that next level all the time. And I've business through COVID has been uh, mightily, um, well, there's been a massive uh, increase in the demand purely because it's like a, suddenly it's just like a big sucker punch to everyone. They're like, Oh shit. Like, I was doing all right before. And now like, how do I, pivot you know is the key word of the, of the year uh how do i how do i adapt well you know any military person will tell you you know like uh, who's spent a decent amount of time in the military the the old cliche like you, you've got to adapt and overcome haven't you and um that's exactly what people have had to do or need to do during this period so um the syllabuses and the structure and the actual strategies that i've kind of designed um help people in these uh, industries massively through especially through times like this where they have to adapt you know I've, I've worked with a lot of really good um small businesses who are very much face-to-face -face, um kind of like had a small venue or and stuff like that and actually taking their business online um and now they're like I'm, i don't even know if i'm going to go back to face-to-face -face. uh don't know if i want to because they're actively daily making good turnover because their products are in demand for example I don't want to divert a tangent there, mate, and just say that I've heard this from so many different people now, the way that they've grasped the new changes, which, which mm. like, I get it. Of course I get it. Yeah. you got, you got to make your business work, but it, it's so sad that grasping these changes doesn't necessarily mean a better way of life. No, 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 absolutely. Um, I think, there's a big difference in that. And uh, I think the key thing that I like to kind of teach people is not just changing your business completely to suit this, I wouldn't say enforced way of life, um, because you, your life will still be what you make of it, I think. Um, but 
it's almost creating extra options for their business and extra streams of income because if 2020's taught us anything like having multiple streams of income is massively important um if you're going to rely solely on your you know your wage which you maybe have a little bit left over at the end of each month once you pay the bills you know looking forward in the future that's not going to affect your long game at all you know you need to adapt you know or you need to create solid sustainable sources of income that are going to consistently give you what you want out of life otherwise you'd just be struggling all the time um and if your your business is just about getting over the line each month um again that's not a way of living life at all for anybody um you know nobody should have to live like that it's uh, regardless of what country you live in um i do i had this conversation with uh some of the villagers in Sierra Leone literally on WhatsApp the other day because they, they call me like every week and uh, they're asking how it all is over here during this this period and how is it how is they ask how my family is and how people are struggling in England right you're talking about people that are in sh- like shanty villages are asking about people in England and how they're struggling um, uh, so it's it, it, to put it out into perspective it just goes to show that it doesn't matter like whether you're a, a first world country or you're a country in Africa that's, you know, there's a lot of poverty. Um, unless you're physically bringing money in um, and, you know, you're actively, you know, to live in a first world country, you've got to bring money in because you will have some form of income because, you know, you've got to pay rent or mortgage. You've got to pay for your, your means of living, getting by. If you need transportation, if you need this, if you need that, if you don't actually, if you can't do any of that to, to be able to, to be able to live in a first world country, you know, you might as well be in like third world countries and, you know, living on it. Cause you just end up living on the streets. And I spent, I spent some time speaking to some homeless people uh, in, in Salisbury over, over Christmas and having a good chat with them and how they ended up the way they ended up. And there doesn't seem that, you know, they don't seem any way out of it. Um, and, and it's the same for many people around the country. The people that you, you know, amazingly raised money for uh, during Christmas when you did your 200 miler, um, you know, it's just so it just goes to show you that the the sheer importance of looking forward six to twelve months um, and doing that continuously. I think if you live day to day, if you're living in the now all the time, I think. Um, things can be quite worrying given like what's going on at the minute. Yeah. Long-term plan. Well, medium term, long-term, just a goal, isn't it? Yes. I think that it's so uh, central to my life. I, I, to be able to keep going forward every day, there's always something that I can do Mm -hmm. to think that, that for a lot of people probably in a job, it's like it's all or nothing, isn't it? You know, it's the, it's either work or don't work. Yeah, and and then fear redundancy. Yeah, yeah, and exactly. Um, and this is what I like. I love personally about being um, a, a, a solopreneur or whatever you want to call it. You know, being a director of my own company is because uh, I I dictate whether I kind of win or lose, really. Um, and I think that's what I love about that. And that's why I love working with business owners because you know, for, you know, for a fact, they, they, they want to learn, they want to make their business more successful uh, or, you know, entrepreneurs that are just starting out, like they want to make something of themselves. And, um, you know, they're, they're fantastic types of people to work with, you know, kind of driven and 
that the, you know when you're setting them KPIs and stuff like that and uh, giving them homework like I do each each week, it's um, you know that you know that they're going to dig deep into doing it because they want to make a success and they want to implement the strategies that you're showing them because they see them working themselves. So you know I say it all the time like if you want to get if you want to do well at anything you need to get yourself around the people that are already doing it, um, have done it, you know, got the t-shirt. Um, exactly and um and and learn from these people like there's there's no better like medicine than being around positive like-minded people that want to see you win lift you up help you succeed in life because like as soon as you do that like your your life will change tenfold like i wholeheartedly um you know can tell you that um those of you those who know me as well uh or follow me on social media we've seen like January last year when I was in Sierra Leone, I was uh, asking people what their big word for 2020 was. Um, and I, I said that mine was connections and I stuck to that, to my guns, the whole of 2020. And I'll tell you what, the opportunities that have come my way and continue to do so and will do 2021 onwards because I've worked really hard on my connections is like unreal. Absolutely unreal. AJ, You've done amazing. Your story is amazing. Thank you so much for coming on the Bought the T-Shirt podcast. Mate, it's been a pleasure. I've uh, I've been trying to get on for ages. <laughs> well, thank you for being my friend as well. Which is, oh, you're welcome, man. You know that's a big part of this for me. It's I, mm. I get to meet lovely people like yourself, and um, you know we have that connection. And you choose your life don't you you know you, you you choose your life and and um thank you for being a part of mine no absolutely mate it's been it's been a real pleasure and uh, i'm a big fan of your show big fan of your work and as i've said many times i'm absolutely fascinated by uh your your intellect and your mindset and and the the crazy shit that you love to do to help other people like it's, uh, it's very commendable yeah i've been to some uh some depths you can say but you know that's where you find the real that's where you find diamonds isn't it <laughs> absolutely mate absolutely. hey i just i made that up yeah <laughs> no i i just love everybody and i want i i i don't want people to suffer unnecessarily a bit of suffering's okay to learn your shit you know yeah yeah of course but, but when you got our brothers and our sisters you know committing suicide mm-hmm it, no you don't you you don't need to go that far it, it's I, I get it i i honestly get it in that depth of despair but just a little switch in your head couple of little paradigm changes mm. it, it it makes it, it it can steer you away from that shit is what i'm trying to say so and uh yes aj where where, where can people find you um, yeah, um, well, I'm all over all social platforms. Um, I'm on Instagram, um, Mr. Underscore AJ Roberts. Um, same as on Twitter, Mr. Underscore AJ Roberts. Uh, Facebook, Mr. AJ Roberts. And uh, and LinkedIn as well, is where I spend a lot of my time. I, I, I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn, connecting with a lot of people on there. Um, and uh, I've, I've got my own podcast, the, the Mr. AJ Roberts Show or the AJ Roberts show, sorry. And, um, and, and my website, if you want to learn more about what I do and, or even get involved with some of the charity work that I do in Sierra Leone and see, see about that kind of stuff. So I'm always looking to partner with people and businesses to, 
to work on uh, on the vision for that. Uh, that's uh, that's mrajroberts.com. Um, yeah, so I'm pretty active on on all of it. Like, so yeah, just reach out, connect. You know, like I said, connections. I'm always looking to connect with people. We'll put all your links below the video, mate. So um, amazing, thank you. Yes, thank you for your friendship. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your guidance, mate. Absolutely brilliant. Cheers, AJ. Cheers, buddy. Best of luck, everyone. 2021. Yes, and to everyone watching, if you could like and subscribe, blah, 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 blah. Much love. Friends, thank you for listening to the Bought the T-Shirt podcast. Please like, subscribe and share. And don't forget to follow me on social media. Username, Chris Thrall. Instagram, Chris.Thrall. Thank you. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. 